continuation from the first Thessalonians, a church established very quickly uh, that's gone through a lot of persecution early on and, and, and they've been faithful in it. Uh, chapter one reminded us that they were faithful in the midst of persecution and that they were an example because they were continuing in faith, hope, and love. They were continuing to be godly even in the midst of persecution in rough times. Um, then last week we looked at um, the, the, like I had mentioned, the son of perdition, the man of sin. This, this, the, Paul wanted to reiterate what was going to happen with the second coming and, and all this because they believed that maybe the second coming had come and people were being pretty lazy and they were fearful. And Paul's like, don't be fearful. God wins, right? And that was actually the name of the message last week. And so uh, that leads us to uh, verse 13. Let's stand and we'll read through uh, chapter 3, verse 5, and then we'll, we'll pray and get started. Sound good? But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through, sanctific through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth and to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or, by, or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the, Lord, uh, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things, which we, the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Lord, we uh, come before you uh, opening up your word and asking you to speak, Lord. So we pray that you give us ears to hear, Lord. We pray you give us eyes to see, that we'd be able to respond uh, to, to what you want us to know. Um, it's so easy to get twisted up and mixed up and, and everything, Lord. We, we want to align ourselves with your truth, Lord. Um, and, and with your love, Lord, that that would be present in our lives. Lord, we, so we pray that you give us, again, ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are soft and receptive to the good news of the gospel, and that we would be changed. Daily, we'd be sanctified. We'd be set apart. We'd be growing, Lord, so that we could be lights in the midst of darkness, so we can bring hope in the midst of chaos and, and hopelessness. Lord, so that we could be the answer to, to the ailing questions at, at, that have been here since the beginning. Uh, man separated from you, Lord. So, God, we pray that we would, uh, Lord, just hear from you again and uh, that our eyes would be opened. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Okay. Verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
Um, this is like actually really similar to chapter one, verse three. He says basically the same thing, bound to give thanks to, uh, to God for you always. Uh, it's very similar, super similar. Um, and he's reassuring them in the midst of persecution that they are a source of thanksgiving. Again, the, Paul had already said they were like a model for what the church should look like in the midst of persecution. And it wasn't like that they were just gripping and holding on super tight. And it was that they were producing faith. They were producing hope and they were living out this love. So they were like a good example for all the other churches around them. So they're a source of thanksgiving. Like when Paul thinks about them, he's thankful for them. He's grateful that, that he has this relationship with them. And it's interesting because you see Paul say that in all of his letters, and yet you also see him dealing with very real issues. And I think like a lot of times the way we see problems, it's like you're either really easy and I love you and that's easy, or you're a problem and I don't want to deal with you. And Paul's like, that's just not the way it works because we're human. And so like we're going to have to deal with people and their issues, but like we can, that, that doesn't take away, we love them just like we love, think about your like spouse, like you know, they know you, you know them. You know, what about your kids? You know them, you know, if you're, if you're married and have kids. Your family members. It's like you come to this, a very real relationship. But Paul loves these people. He doesn't see them as perfect, but he sees them as an example and he's giving thanks for them. So that's really cool. Valuing people. And I think that's a big deal. I, I've been doing a lot of study on uh, the image of God, you know, Imago Dei. Like, we're made in the image of God. That blows my mind. If you're ever, have, ever having trouble, like, caring about people or loving people or, like, assigning value to people, especially those you disagree with, think about the fact that they were literally made in the image of God. God made them and said, this is one of my image bearers. Sometimes they don't choose to walk in that. You know, we understand that. We're going to get to that, actually, in a minute. But it helps you to kind of come to that realization. We need to be way more patient and way more gracious with one another, you know? And to help cultivate and bring out, you know, the good, right? So they're a source for thanksgiving, uh, but they're also, he calls them beloved by the Lord. And the word is agapao. It's like uh, from agape. It's like the, the, is the derivative of the Lord. Like you guys are greatly loved by the Lord. And it's, how is that? It's proved by God's plan for their salvation and for their sanctification. Like you're greatly loved by the Lord because God has already set in you to be saved since the foundation of the world. It, it was his plan to see men and women saved, Right? To, for them to receive the truth of the gospel. And he says, at the beginning, he chose you. And, you know, that's kind of like, uh, it gets, we get really messed up. There's just that, the, it used to be, I feel like, more hot, the, the, the Calvinist-Armenian debate, you know? It's like, uh, you know, are you, did God choose you? Did you choose or whatever? Uh, if you read the Bible, it's both. <laughs> it's pretty clear that they're both involved, right? And there's definitely times where we see it looks like God just says, you know what, you're on my team, and that's all there is to it. Paul's kind of like that, right? He's like, hey, guess what? You're not doing what you thought you were doing anymore. You're following me. Of course, Paul was receptive to that. And, and after that point, he had to make a whole bunch of choices to continue in that. Um, but, you know, sometimes God steps in and says, yeah, here you go. 
I'm, I'm going to take the lead here and just, you know, kind of help make this happen. But we definitely still have that choice. But I think that, that you could look at it like this. Since the beginning, it shows you, it could be the beginning of when he uh, revealed himself to you in a sense where you come to faith, right? We could also say it was God, he, he, it was his desire that none should perish. So from the beginning, his desire is that we would all walk in salvation and then sanctification being the part where, like, God continues to work it out in us, right? And I know it goes, we say this a lot, but this is worth repeating. It's, it starts with justification. As we look in, God justifies us at salvation. We come to him, and he says, you're now made new. Your sins are gone. You're a new creation. You now have access to the Father. You can come before me. You are cleaned through the blood of Jesus, then the process of sanctification, right? And sanctification is, is where, like, you're, you're being set apart, and, and he's dealing with all the little sins that continue on, or sometimes big ones. So he's, that's the process of sanctification. And I think, remember, said sometimes in there's, there's, we need to understand there has to be transformation. We need to be transformed. Like, allow God the place to literally transform our lives and our hearts so it's from the inside out. And then ultimately, when we're with him, and we're spending eternity with him, we're at the state of glorification, right? It's all done. All the other stuff is done. Sin, death, all that. It's done. So what, how does the sanctification happen? Sanctification is by the Spirit's working, right? That's one of the things it says, by the Spirit. So how does the Spirit work? The Spirit works on the inner man or woman. We become so frustrated when we try to change the outside without changing the inside, right? It, without an inner change, it's impossible. That's the transformational part. It's like we've got to actually experience the real transformation. And if you're like, I just don't, I have not experienced that, so it must not be true. No, it just means you just haven't experienced it. Part of it's submitting to it, but then allowing God to radically transform our hearts and our lives. I mean, some, I know some of you in here that I've gotten to see literally the transformation. And like, it's crazy. I, 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 it's like your eyes change almost. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, it goes from like hard to soft. You're like your face change, like everything. The countenance changes, the way you talk. And people start recognizing it. How do you know there's transformation? People start tripping out. After I got saved, I, I was around, um, you know, where I grew up, the city I grew up in. I started getting involved in youth ministry really early on because um, I, I was really super crazy honest. And the kids really liked that and it scared everybody else, you know. Um, but I actually, I got uh, an opportunity to go back and, and to minister at the high school I went to. And the teachers were like tripping out. Like, what? You know? And they came up, they said, I had to see it to believe it. Um, and they ended up, it was really cool. It got to glorify. And I, I kind of was like, sorry if I, I didn't know I was like that, you know, whatever, uh, much of a problem here. <laughs> but there was an actual like real transformational thing. And it was like not something I had to like tell everyone. Guys, I'm, look at how I'm transformed. It's like, it's evident, right? And so if, you're, if, if we're frustrated with like, I'm trying to become like more like Christ. I'm trying to do all these different things. I'm trying to look different. I'm trying to do that. Without the transformation, it just doesn't work. It's not going to happen. So it actually has to like take place at an inner level where we, we allow God the permission, the place, the space to literally change us from the inside out. And I think that's actually something we probably have to do 
more than once because a lot of times we try to grab the reins again. Lord, I've grown cold and I've grown hard and I'm missing the boat. Change me again. Like, like renew me. <laughs> Bring me back. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because it's, it, it, and especially as, I think one of the dangers when Christianity was kind of like the norm is that the whole acting like a Christian was a thing. You know, that's not really the case in, in like countries where it's illegal to be a Christian because that's just like the show's not worth it, right? So it's got to be like a real transformational thing. So I think we're in a place now where we're looking around us at the world around us and if you're doing it all for a show, you're not going to find enough grit and you're not going to find enough desire to do it, you know? And I think that's what we're seeing around us. And I think God's calling us to a deeper, more transformational work. What will they say when they experience it for themselves right in front of them? When they see a transformed person, you were like this, now you're like this. I don't get it. What is that? They see it for themselves. Again, we have examples of that all over the scripture. So he says, uh, the, in the spirit through sanctification or, or, or the sanctification by the spirit and what? And belief in truth. Belief in truth is really, really, really important. Many don't know the truth. They don't even, we don't know what we believe, why we believe it. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of people falling off, Right? So I don't even know, you don't know what you believe. So somebody comes out and is like, I watched this YouTube video. And it's, it's like anybody who really knows, they're like, that's not legit. Or I saw this person post this thing. And you're like, who's that person? It, it's because a lack of understanding of the truth, right? So the belief in the truth, many in the church, again, don't know this, but the truth working with the spirit changes us from the inside out. Um, I was reading this book called Deep Discipleship by J.T. English, and um, great book. He was, he was saying how important theology is in the church, because theology shapes the way we think about everything. And he says, you know, I like to tell people all about my wife. You know, I, I tell her she's, she's five foot five, brunette, artistic. Uh, she's just awesome. And he says, the only problem with that is my wife's five foot nine, she's blonde, and she's athletic. He says, and that's the way people say they love God, but they don't know God. They say they love Jesus. They don't know who Jesus really even is. And so understanding, putting in the work to like really learn, like to be trained and to know, this makes a big, big difference in our lives. You can love the idea of something, but if you aren't grounded in what that thing is, it's going to be so easy for you to be deceived, right? And that's for all of us. Because we have like this master deceiver out there. He's like the master of deception. So we've got to know what we believe. But, but not, it's not just knowledge. It's as you're being changed in the inner man by the spirit looking more and more like Jesus. Transformation. Verse 14. You're like, oh, wow, that was only one verse. No, it'll go faster. But not too much faster. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that he says he called you by our gospel. You know what he means by that? He means I received it too. <laughs> like Paul's not like, you received the gospel, we preach. Paul is very clear about that actually, 
right? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for... You want to know what the gospel is? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That means he fulfilled prophecy, right? And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day also according to the scriptures. It's founded in the word of God, right? And it's not, any, it's not something I'm giving you. I received it first. We're all in this together. How good is that news, right? When you find out you're all in this together, there's something about going through misery and you have somebody else there with you. I remember we were, uh, uh, when I was at a church in Orange County, we were opening our new facility. And it was the night before. And um, of course, no matter how well you try to plan, it's the night before is always chaos. And I remember I was sitting up, standing up on top of this ladder that I don't know, it was way up. I don't know, 15 feet in the air or something. And I'm like at the top of it, standing up way high, and I'm trying to bolt in this, this giant pole that will hold a projector for the, I don't know, four through six, four through six-year-olds, something like that. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like dizzy. It's like two in the morning. I'm like, don't die. That's going to ruin the opening of the building. You know, plus they'll have to clean the carpet and all this and that, you know. But uh, I, I remember going through that and I was there and uh, people were there throughout the day. And, you know, there's people there till five and then six and then seven. And, you know, as, they, as the hours go by, it gets slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. And then at the very end, it's just me and uh, Aaron, my friend Aaron, who's the pastor now uh, there. And it was just us. And we were just like, what are we doing? You know, it's like two in the morning. We're out there just doing it. But there was, so, there was definitely something about him being there to where if I was by myself, it'd be like a whole nother world, you know? So misery, you know, sometimes not love's company, but it's something about being in it together. We're battling in this together. I'm not leaving. You're not leaving. Let's do this. So there's something about having that camaraderie that we absolutely as believers got to have in recognizing, man, we're all in this together. Part of being real or part of having the Spirit transform our inner life is by confessing what it isn't, being real about what it isn't. And so Paul's like, never like, I'm not the answer. I'm a receiver of the good news just like you're a receiver of the good news. So our gospel, not my gospel, our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then what is the gospel? Romans 1, 16, Paul loves the gospel, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God that is the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul believed that the gospel was transformational. He didn't have to add anything else to it. Like you didn't have to doctor it up or anything like that. And he says that over and over again in 1 Corinthians. Because the, first, the, the church of Corinth was not impressed with Paul. They, they were this, you know, a lot of people say Corinth is probably the closest thing to the culture we live in. They, they loved art and beautiful things. They had, they had the great uh, Isthmian games, like it was like, you know, kind of like Olympic-style games, culture. You know, they, they had these speakers that were eloquent, and they said, Paul is not a good speaker. He doesn't speak very well. I don't really like the way he talks. I don't like the way he looks. Eh, he's pretty whatever. Paul calls some of them like super apostles and all this. Anyway, so it gets into all of it. So these guys who think that they're something that they're not. 
But Paul says the power is in the gospel. So when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's like, I didn't come to you with in, in wisdom of words or, or anything like that. He says, I came with the power of the gospel. It is, it is Jesus Christ and him crucified that holds the power. And so everything in us, because of the world we live in, makes us want to adapt and adapt and adapt. And there's a part of it that's really good to adapt. Like as far as, man, how do we reach people in unique ways? But the one thing we can never adapt is to try to, to use the, the message of the gospel and change it or to doctor it up or whatever. Give it as it is. This is what you were created to, to you're longing for. And so creatively give it, sure, I understand that. But like make it like very clear that we're sinners. So we're guilty right? Sinners in the hands, you know, sinners that, that need re- uh, hope, that we need restoration, redemption, but also that even those of us who are uh, uh, full of shame, right? That Jesus came to be our shame and to deal with all of that too. This is the good news. This is the hope of humanity and it's for a purpose. Uh, what does he say at the end there? For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we saved? To bring glory to Jesus. And so you'll feel very, we will feel very like um, unresolved and bummed if all we're doing is uh, get, get saved and like, cool, I'm going to heaven, I'm good. You know, if we're not bringing God glory, we're missing out on the reason you've been saved. And you go, oh, well, that doesn't sound as much. No, that is the most fun thing you could possibly do is bring God glory. There is nothing better than bringing God glory. It's like the only thing that doesn't disappoint in life. Everything else has a shelf life or, you know, at its end, it's almost like it's worse than it was before. All of these things, right? Verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. With that in mind, that's therefore. With that in mind, we work. We stand fast. We hold the traditions right? We stand fast on what we know. So it's not just like you've been saved and you're going to be glorified, all this and that. No, but you actually have an active part in this. And, and we have a part to this where we stand fast. We hold on to the truths. We don't get washed away or, or moved away from the side of what we're supposed to do. So when he says, uh, stand fast and hold the traditions. You might be like, what traditions? Didn't Jesus come and mess up all the traditions? What Jesus came and changed was uh, the traditions made by um, the, the Jewish oral law that was done by the Pharisees that they kind of made up. That was like all their ritual hand washing and all this and that. These are the traditions of the apostles. These are things we still look at today, right? And, and so he's like, remember those things. Stand fast, hold the traditions. Hold tight to the things that matter care about these things, especially in the face of persecution. Paul's like not telling them to run away. He's t- instead, he reassures them of their identity, of their calling. He says, don't be lazy. You know? Because that, that's like what we do. A lot of times it's like, ah, I'm, I'm too stressed about this. I'm either going to run away, I'm going to numb out, or I'm going to fight back in the wrong way. Right? But he's saying, like, no, hold fast to what you know. Hold fast to what you've been taught. Um, And we all are going to have those moments, right, where we have to believe the things that God said to us um, in the light are going to be able to hold in the dark. 
right? And so we're all going to have those moments where you're like, everything in me is saying to do the opposite thing of what God says to do here. And he says, you can do that if you want, but it's going the wrong direction. Or we can choose to trust God, and there's nothing like trusting God, especially when it doesn't seem to make any earthly sense to see him provide and do what he wants to do. That was, that was the whole starting out with Abraham. Abraham, leave the family you have. Go to a place you don't know. Offer, make an offering in front of all of these other gods and in front of all these people. Wage war for me. It won't make any sense. Hey, Abraham, I'm gonna give you the seeds to, you know, that, that are gonna be like sand and stars in the sky. And he's like, we can't even have one kid. Didn't make any sense. God says, why don't you just trust me and, and, and I'll worry about the rest. Obedience is a fruit of the spirit, right? When Jesus talks about obedience, it's about just, if we want to be, have this fruit in our lives, it's we obey. To obey is, is better and greater than to sacrifice. We think, oh, I'll sacrifice everything for you. He's like, how about you just obey me, you know? Because <laughs> the thing about sacrifice is we can choose our sacrificing, I'll sacrifice in this way, you know. That, that'll work. I can sacrifice on Tuesday at 3 o'clock to 3.15, and it will be done. He's like, no, 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 obey. Trust me. Believe me, right? Hold fast, you know. Many have fallen into the traps of the wisdom of men, which leads to darkness, right? So some lights have gone dim because they don't know what they believe, right? Some of them have gone dim, and then others have bailed out, Right? So he's like, stand fast, stand, hold. Be a light. Otherwise, you'll never find what you're looking for, right? God's calling, and, and it's so cool to see God come through. There's like nothing like it, right? Can we testify to that? There's nothing like seeing God come through, especially when it didn't make any sense. When it kind of makes sense, you go, well, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. But when it's like, when he's asking you, he's calling you out to do something that doesn't make any sense and you see him come through, that is like, that's it. And he wants us to experience that because then we experience him in a deeper level. Verse 16, now may the, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. This is an everlasting consolation. Guys, in the end, we win, no matter what happens on earth. Following Jesus, you always win. And that, does that not lead to good hope? And Jesus told us, in this world you have troubles. I've overcome the world. Like, you're going to have to deal with stuff. Like, they hated you, they'll hate me. They hated me, they'll hate you because you're like the worst version of me, you know? All I was doing was running around healing people, saving people, giving value to people, and they killed me. So they're not going to like you all the time. That's okay. It's okay to not be liked, you know? That's, I don't like that feeling, but it's like, you know what? There's going to be, we're going to see it in a minute. There's people who are, who are not into things of God, and they're going to act in weird ways, but this is our consolation. No matter what we win, this leads to that good hope. Hope is the word elpis, and it, it's like expectation. Our hope is like an expectation by the continuing of the presence of his grace. We have an expectation that everywhere we go, he's going to go. That he'll have enough grace for the moment. 
I've shared this before, but I, 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 whenever I find myself in like the midst of like uh, significant like trouble, mental trouble where I feel like hopeless and I feel like the world's caving in around me, um, I don't think I even experienced that until I had kids. There's something about bringing kids into the world that you're like looking around and you're like, oh my gosh, the world's a mess. Because before I had kids, it was kind of like, uh, whatever, it's fine, you know. I know the world. It's just, you know, it's just what it is, you know. That's just where we're at. And, you know, whatever, however it works out. God will come, you know, it'll be good. And then all of a sudden you have kids. And you're like thinking, they're going to have to grow up in this? They're going to have to see, they're going to. So you start looking around. And, and I remember there was multiple times for multiple situations where I was stressed out beyond control. And I remember one night, 3 o'clock in the morning. This was a wild night, actually. Because we ended up having like a, a major issue with one of our students uh, at the church I was at. So it was like I didn't get any sleep that night. And then I went straight into like a full day of like intensive uh, like spiritual warfare. And I had gotten no sleep because I was worrying all night about things I had absolutely zero control over. And my worrying sure helped, right, obviously. And again, and, and what do you do when you worry you don't sleep? Sleeping is really important right? A lot of times you go, oh, I'm feeling all these things. That's one of the best things you can tell someone. Just go to sleep, and then we'll talk, right? We see it in kids. You need a nap, but as adults, we don't want to hear that. Don't tell me to take a nap. Don't tell me to go to bed. You need to go to bed. You need to get some rest. You're acting like an, a jerk, and no one wants to deal with you right now, and none of the things you even say make sense. Go to sleep. So I, I remember being in these different places, and, and I, had, I had it come up a couple times, and I remember one time the Lord spoke to me, di- di- like, really distinctly, um, not, like, audibly, but it was, like, to my heart. He says, I have not given you the grace to go through things you aren't going through. So that, and that's the thing. When you look back, and you can look back on the other times in your life, when you actually did engage really, actually really hard things that were really in front of you, God was always there giving you the grace that you needed for that moment. But when it's not a moment for you to go down or it's not your battle to fight, he doesn't give you grace for that. He's like, I don't, didn't ask you to go there. No one asked you to go in and put yourself in that position. You're not equipped for this. And again, I use that quote this often, but I love when Jesus says, like, don't worry when they put you in front of courts. I'll give you the words you need to say. It's like, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, if it isn't, then what are we doing wrong? What do we have mixed up? So that we have this earnest hope and expectation that his grace is going to continue to the end. He promises never to leave us or to forsake us. Use this to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. It's with that hope, it's with that expectation that the world, the sky is not falling, chick chicken little, you know? Like we, so we don't see it like that because we know our God is on the throne. And, and as we saw last week, stuff gets wild, God wins, right? To, to, to remind you, when Jesus shows up and is dealing with the Antichrist, how does he defeat him? Does anybody remember? He, he says, he's, he breathes, he speaks. And then his presence destroys him. You're like, sick? He just shows up and talks, and he's like, see ya. Boom. That's the power of God. So that's our earnest expectation and hope. Boy, does he ever win. 
And he's going to meet us everywhere we are. We have these beautiful pictures. Paul is able to be so honest about what he's going through, the struggles that he's going through. He was persecuted more than most of us will ever even dream of being persecuted. And he just was like, I am just so amped to be able to be a representative of Christ. You do not know how pumped I am to tell people about Jesus. Because God meets you where you're at. I always think about that, about Stephen, you know, as he's dying, martyr's death. And he's just got this, like, joy. And he's, like, asking God not to, like, like to forgive them for what they're doing, you know? Sounds a lot like Jesus. And I'm always reminded, Paul was there. He was the one overseeing the death. I still believe it had a major impact on the life of Paul. Seeing Stephen receiving the grace of God in the midst of extreme pain and turmoil. That's what makes the difference. You know, when the church fights like the world, we look like the world. It's such a bad taste for the world. We have different weapons and they're way more effective, right? The world deals on the surface level. We deal at the heart. The heart doesn't change. Nothing changes. So, um, if we don't let this play out in our real life, we'll remain stifled, right? If we don't let this actually work out in us, in word and work, like if it doesn't actually do anything to us, we're just stifled. It messes us up. You know, when we went to the Bible college. There was a lot of kids who like never left the campus. They'd just be like there. And it was like they start, it started breeding weird things in them, you know? I was constantly going back to youth. I didn't, I didn't live there. So I was dealing with these youth kids in the Inland Empire that were like terrible. Like, I love them. But they were like going through like horrible stuff, you know? And so it was like, it was all like, I was trying to learn everything I could so I could go back and use it to help them. So it was like, there was a lot of the arguments or conversations I'd hear. I'd be like, what are you guys talking about? It's like, we need the real thing, Right? Remember, I was trying to learn how to bunny hop on my mountain bike. I watch video after video after video after video. When I try, go to do a paper, I listen to this and this and this. I'll read all of these things. But it doesn't actually work until you sit down and you write or you get on your bike and you trial and error. Got enough information, time to get involved. That might be the other part to the church. A lot of us have all the information, but we're not using it at all, so it doesn't really work out. I don't know how that really works because you're not using what you've been given. And when you use it, you find out, oh, that was kind of helpful. I didn't really understand that or I, didn't, I misunderstood that, whatever. But you get to see it working out in reality. Chapter three, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. So Paul, this is his closing, you know, starting the closing chapter here. We'll, we'll finish up 2 Thessalonians next week. He says, brethren, pray for us. I love that. Paul's always asking for prayer. You know what that means? He believes in prayer, and he's not too big to ask for it. Do you need prayer? I think ask, asking for prayer is a great thing. Do it. Anything you're dealing with, ask for prayer. Do you need help? Ask for prayer. Lord, I need help. So Paul's saying, brethren, pray for us. But what is he praying? That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you. Uh, he's praying that the word would run swiftly uh, and glorified. That's like a, Paul loves sports, I think. He like loves sports. And so he's like saying, I, I pray that the word would run really fast and get first place. 
you know, basically. That there would be like some sort of a trophy. <laughs> that there would be so, it would just be so effective that everyone would be able to see how good it really is. Run the race. You know, he uses all these terms. Run the race. Fight to win. Right? This is the crowning achievement. Paul would be ecstatic if what had happened in Thessalonica would happen everywhere else. Remember, established in three weeks? And look at this church standing under. Paul knew it was going to be gnarly persecution because he had to bail. They like were coming after him, right? He's like, you guys are, I'm throwing you directly into the lion's den. And yet he'd seen God meet them and work in them and do this awesome uh, ministry in and through them, right? Verse two, he says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. Even though men were all created in God's image, some choose they don't want it. Yeah, even, even, even though they were made for it, even though this is what God's desire was for them, some will choose wickedness. And it's a real problem. And it like needs real care and it needs real prayer. I don't know, I don't, it doesn't see him say that we should pray or that, that they're no good or, you know, whatever. He's saying that their state they're in right now is a major problem, right? They're unreasonable and they're wicked. I mean, the death of reason has been stifling of late, Right? You're like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, that just makes sense. You go, well, how do you know what makes sense? Um, my brain, I think. Uh, I don't know. You know, unreasonable, right? And wicked. These are men that have chosen, in, in a sense, not to follow God or have, have been bought into the beliefs of society. But I do believe Paul was one of these before, right? He, he was doing his own thing, and it was bad. Right, But then he says this, um, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. The Lord is faithful. He's, gonna, he's, he's faithful to take you through. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That's good news. He's not just the author. He didn't just start it and then like, yeah, that's it. You know, he finishes it. He, you know, he's a, and then no weapon set against us is gonna prosper in the long run. Right? If you're in Christ, don't sweat it. Just watch him be faithful, right? And do your part. The other thing is, I think because it's like, it's like either I'm striving, I feel like I'm either striving, I'm doing, 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 or I just sit back and I'm lazy. No, it, it's, it's enjoying the presence of God. You, you can't get this without experiencing the presence of God. We cannot be changed on the inside without having a real relationship with him where you get in the, in the quiet and you, you sit down and you Bear your soul. I, I think I mentioned Tori got his journals. I, I pulled, I, I'm not a journaler. You guys might get that, you know. Like, I don't know if this guy has a diary or not. Um, not a diary, it's a journal. <sighs> Looks like a journal. It doesn't have a lock. It's not pink. But I, I, last week I was, I just, I remember I opened it up and I just, it wasn't that one, it was a different one, but I bore my soul on it. And then I like wanted to shred it immediately. 
But it was just like, it was like ultimate realness with God. Where, where am I? Who am I? What, what, what do you see? I like, ugh, and just being raw and open. And it was like, it was incredible. God meets you. He, he's looking to meet us in all of these things that are showing there's something wrong. There's something missing. He wants to meet us in our brokenness and to restore and to move and change. And it's all found in this real, raw, honest relationship with him. Without that, we got nothing. Nothing. The spirit can't change you transformationally. And so you're like, okay, so now I go to church. So now I got to do church things. So now I got to stop cussing a mile away or whatever. So now I got to like make sure, you know, I get drunk over there, not over here. You know, I got to make sure I don't do this. All these things that we think are, that's the Christian thing, you know, whatever. It's like, no, we need a legitimate transformational thing in us so that the authority is not what we think we see around us, but God literally saying, I want that. Give me that part of your life. Let me remove that cancer so that you can have even more of this. And so it gets really confusing because we try to like make everything work out and we try to fix and, and change, but without the power of the gospel without the Holy Spirit being the one that changes it from the inside out, right? I hate grapefruits. Sorry. Just do not like the taste of grapefruits. But you could take a small grapefruit and you could paint it orange, and I love oranges because I'm from Redlands. We love oranges. This is like our fruit, okay? You could take a small grapefruit and you could paint it orange. You could really trick me. But as soon as I taste what's inside... Not only am I going to be bummed, but I'm all, you also lost your credit, credibility, right? And it's, it's about being real. You're a grapefruit. That's cool. I get it. Okay. Let's work with that, you know? So the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you against the evil one. God is faithful. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct our, your hearts into the love of God and into the presence of Christ or patience of Christ. Um, they believe that the Thessalonians will continue to grow and will be faithful to the command. There's more on this next week on what some of the command is. Uh, but they believe that God's going to direct them. And so they're saying, Lord, direct our hearts into the love of God and the patience. We need this. Lord, direct our hearts into the love of God, that we would love God more than we do now, more than we love other things. And we would have the patience of Christ. Love sees men and women in the image of God as, as a possibilities for the most amazing uh, use. Like God made you for something really, really, really good. And then the patience of Christ. Uh, yikes. What did the patience of Christ look like? He allowed them himself to be ridiculed, messed with, crucified. Right? He was able to endure so much. So the patience of Christ, this has to be, again, it has to be an inward change. We need an inner life change. We need to spend our time with the Lord. Let him invade our deep hurt, our deep pain, our deep shame, and the deep sin in our life. Or else we're just going to keep on putting Band-Aids over a festering wound. God wants to clean it out. 
Is it painful? Yes, but it's the beginning of, of restoration of healing and it, it changes everything. Remove the infection and watch your body grow. Watch what he'll do next. Respond to his leading, believing that we are new creations. And if you haven't experienced this, if you're not experiencing like what it feels like, of course, we know none of us are perfect this side of eternity, right? But if we're not experiencing what it feels like to be a new creation or we've lost touch with that, how do, you, how, do, how do we change this? We just go to him and we bear all the truth. All, be really honest. I feel like I'm, I'm living like my old self, God. I feel like I'm full of uh, guilt and shame and, and fear. And I, I feel like I've been messed up by all kinds of different situations in life. And I need a, like a deep, deep restoration, transformation that can only come through the good news of the gospel and the supply of the Holy Spirit to minister in us. And then after he's done the work in us, through us, to take these broken vessels or these, these uh, ashes that have been turned to beauty to then make other ashes turn to beauty. God loves to use his people in that way. And he absolutely has a plan for you. You, you, you were created in the image of God. Is that mind blowing or what? He knew exactly who you were. All your flaws, all your faults. Don't worry about the world, what they think. Oh, they're this or this. He created you in the image of God for a purpose. And it's not just to sit around. It's not just to like, kind of like dabble. He's, your most meaningful purpose will be found in following Jesus wholeheartedly. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we need your help even with that. We, we get it and yet we get messed up. We know you've called us to more. We know there's more. We know like... we're not living in the way that 